So good morning again. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today and try and get through the first 13 verses. Um, anyone, anyone need anything? You all got your Bibles. That's good. But we've been going through Acts, and as you know, Acts is sort of a follow-up to Luke. I don't know if they had trilogies back in the day, but this would be the second book and trilogy, and I think we're the third book. Um, I'm breaking stuff already. We'll just leave that down. <laughs> Call maintenance and fix that, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> or just duct tape. That's one we <laughs> But uh, the title of today's message is simply The Day of Pentecost, The Day of Pentecost. And uh, I've been reading through uh, Upmost for His Highest by Oswald chambers i believe it is and i've read through it a couple times and going through it again um i don't know i've just been really blessed by it this time and this past week um this past week this is one from wednesday i just want to share it because i think it's uh very related to what we're going to read today uh luke 24 49 says tarry in the city of jerusalem until you you're endued with power from on high the disciples had to tarry, staying in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost, not only for their own preparation, but because they had to wait until the Lord was actually glorified. And as soon as he was glorified, what happened? Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear uh, in Acts 2.33. The statement, John 7.39, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given before Jesus was not yet glorified, does not pertain to us. The Holy Spirit has been given. The Lord is glorified. Our waiting is not dependent on the providence of God, but on our own spiritual fitness. The Holy Spirit's influence and power were at work before Pentecost, but he was not here. Once our Lord was glorified in his ascension, the Holy Spirit came into the world, and he has been here ever since. We have to receive the revealed truth that he is here. The attitude of receiving and welcoming the Holy Spirit into our lives is to be the continual attitude of a believer. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive reviving life from our ascended Lord. It is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit that changes people, but the power of the ascended Christ coming into their lives through the Holy Spirit. We all too often separate things that the New Testament never separates. I love that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an experience apart from Jesus Christ. It is the evidence of the ascended Christ. Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit it does not make you think of time or eternity. It is one amazing, glorious now. This is eternal life, that they may know you, John 17, 3. Begin to know him now and never finish. Oh, Lord, again, we just ask in prayer that you would give us your life through the Holy Spirit. And then, Holy Spirit, you would teach us and instruct us the good news of Jesus and help us to uh, just hear from you, we pray. Amen. But again, Acts, the word Acts was this Greek word, praxeus, meaning great works of these men back in the day, uh, really uh, Peter and Paul and the other apostles and disciples. Um, and I think it's interesting that, you know, this word was used for kings, but it's also used for these believers who would go out and spread the church. And I don't think that this word Acts could have been used for the disciples before the day of Pentecost. If we look at you know, we were talking about yesterday about them wanting to rain down fire on people. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, no, no. And Peter wants to cut off that guy, well, cuts that guy's ear off because he's trying to kill him. And, you know, that's, I don't know if that would have been recorded in Acts otherwise. 
but uh, it was written by Luke around AD 63, and uh, it really covers the, from the ascension of Jesus through the birth of the church, and it spread throughout uh, the world at that time. Uh, last week, we saw what the disciples did after the ascension, how when Jesus rose and they were looking up in the sky, kind of rubbernecking, and then the two angels appeared to them and said, hey, remember what the Lord said? Go wait in Jerusalem. So we see how they went, and they waited, and they probably waited all about five minutes before they came up with their plan about how to select a new apostle. Um, so we saw what they did and uh, what they chose to do in that time. But it was interesting that they were all there, and they were obedient, and they finally started to get that, hey, we need to go in the direction that the Lord is asking us to go in. And uh, today we're going to be in chapter 2, and let's pick it up in the first verse. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we'll stop there. You know, the day of Pentecost, this word day, uh, I guess it's Himera, I'm probably not saying it right, but uh, it's the same word as we saw in the last chapter where it says, in those days, when they went to go wait, in those days, and this word is the same way, in those days, in that day, it's an actual day, it's an actual time period. They were actually sitting around like we're sitting around now when it happened. It wasn't you know, a week-long festival. It was on one day, the Holy Spirit showed up uh, from on high. But the Pentecost is the 50th day. It was 50 days after, uh, perhaps after the resurrection, maybe 10 days after the ascension. Uh, it was the 50th year, was the year of Jubilee we see in the Bible with this number 50. Uh, deaths were forgiven, a new era was sort of ushered in. But it was, uh, Pentecost was a Jewish feast. It was the second of three great Jewish feasts. Um, it was celebrated at Jerusalem yearly, um, the seventh week after the Passover, or 49 days. Uh, and the point of it was to have grateful recognition of the completed harvest, that we would rejoice, that we would say, yes, we, you know, we, we can feast now. We have all these things. I think it's interesting that you know, Jesus made us the harvest at the cross, that when he died on the cross, we were all now able to be brought into heaven, that the, the wheat was able and it was ripe and ready to go when we brought into his heavenly storehouses. Uh, in Luke 10, um, I won't read it through time, but the first 12 verses are really good. Um, you know, he said to them, you know this verse, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know that there is this harvest, that from the cross, there's been a harvest. People before the cross had to kill animals and make sacrifices and follow the commandments to try and get into a relationship with God. And it was based, uh, in a sense, on the law. But God knew that that wasn't the final answer. God knew that that would never save them, but it was really their faith that God would save them through a coming Messiah. But they had to do something in the interim. But now that the Messiah had come and he had died on the cross and risen again, they were now... Everyone was free to enter into heaven. You don't have to go through the sacrificial system anymore. Your faith could be in something that happened already and not something that was coming down the line. And it's interesting that this day of Pentecost is the day that God decides to show up and imbue the disciples with power from on high and us as well for the harvest. That he used this the same day about rejoicing in the harvest and Jesus talked about the harvest being plentiful and needing workers. 
is that this is when God began to send out workers to bring the harvest in. This is when God began to empower people to go out and spread the gospel. And we'll see that in the next uh, couple of weeks. But Deuteronomy 16 sort of outlines these three feasts. The first one is Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, where we know the uh, Israelites came out of Egypt. It was the Exodus where they, they were told not to put any yeast in their, in their bread, be ready to go in the morning. Uh, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, it was a free will offering to rejoice, remember freedom from Egypt. So again, it was to remember freedom from Egypt. To say, hey, God brought us out of Egypt. We have our own land. We have all this food now. We only had manna, or banana bread, as we were talking about before. We have actual food now. We have a land that we can farm, and, and, and God has given it to us. And that's the same thing. That's the same thing. Again, we've been freed from our sinful life through the cross, and we can remember we can remember, and Pentecost is really remembering that. It's really, wow, the Holy Spirit's in me. I remember what he did for me on the cross. I can now live from that and rejoice in that and share that with others. But Matthew 10, 7 says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, and freely you give. You know, again, this idea that this free will offering, that when we come to God, it's not out of obligation anymore. It's not out of, I have to fulfill this. I have to go find a perfect lamb. I have to go do all this stuff. I can just come to God and say, God, thank you. I can sing to you. Yeah, my life is messed up. Yeah, I was struggling this week. Yeah, whatever the case may be. But I can come to you for forgiveness. I can freely worship you. I can freely come into your presence and not be afraid of dying like the high priest who would go in every year. And they put a rope on his leg and bells on him in case he passed out dead from uh, a bad sacrifice to God because of the sin of the people. But we don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, as we read, even in Revelation, John sees Jesus in a glorified state, and he falls down as dead, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, but again, to freely give, and uh, just to get on a soapbox for a minute, every time I turn on the radio down here, I turn it on in the morning, and there's some really good messages, but when I tend to go home at night, I turn on the radio, and I don't know if it's just happenstance but as soon as I turn it on they're asking for money I'm like oh lord <laughs> oh man oh man so we'll see but uh the, th the other feast was the feast of tabernacles uh it was to rejoice in deliverance uh the millennial rest and again this this one's all about rest and we see that you know we have the Passover the forgiveness of sins the remembrance that we've been forgiven of our sins and the rejoicing in that and then that leads to the feast of having rest and that's heaven when we get to heaven, we're going to have complete and total rest. We can have rest now from spiritual works. We can just live a life that's joyful no matter what's going on around us. But really, the full rest is, man, when we're in heaven and God's dwelling place is with us. But it says that this day was fully come. And that word uh, brings into mind the idea of being filled completely like a ship. You know, you have a, a giant cargo ship and you fill it all the way up to the top, even where they have the you know, the backs of the trucks, what they call those, the crate containers on the back, where they're really high up and it's full. That this day was fully come, that this wasn't just God decided to show up one day, that this was planned out, this was God's purpose. Jesus told them to wait there, and when it came, it came, and it came fully. You know, and we saw that Jesus told them to wait, and they had their other plan to pick these other guys. They drew straws, basically, to figure out who was going to be the new apostle. So they didn't really wait completely. They kind of did their own thing. And yeah, you know, they, they were spiritual about it. They prayed about it. They did things that they were familiar with that they had grown up in, that they may have even seen in Scripture and had scriptural reasons to do. But God just told them to wait. God didn't tell them to appoint anybody new. 
And I think that, you know, waiting is only waiting if we've waited until what we're waiting for has been completed. You know, a lot of times God will say, wait. And we go, okay. And we go about and we go and do something else and we're not really totally waiting. And maybe God will still give us what we were waiting for, but maybe sometimes we doubt a little bit because we didn't wait or we don't get it completely because we didn't wait for God to handle it. Maybe we put something on the credit card we shouldn't have or, you know, and God wanted to come and bless us in a different way. I don't know. But we need to keep waiting. You know, when God tells us to wait, he means it. He's not saying, wait, you know, I'll get around to it later when I think of it, and then he forgets about it, and we're left waiting. You know, I don't know if you were ever need to be picked up as a kid, and you were left somewhere, and parents didn't pick you up, or someone told you they'd meet you at the mall, and, you know, you're there, and they didn't show up. You know, we had some, we had some really good friends uh, before we left that were meeting us for dinner uh, pretty much every week, and the first time they came out to meet us, they got really lost, but there was no, like, cell service in the area, and so we were waiting and waiting, and we had dinner, and finally, as we were about to leave, they came in, so we sat for a little while, and it became a, a kind of a joke between us. You know, that's not God. God's not going to say, wait until 4 p.m., and then he doesn't show up, and he comes in next week. You know, I might do that. I've got a voicemail from a friend that i got to call back. I keep forgetting to call back, so he's been waiting. But really, that's not the way God has it for us. He wants us to wait in expectation that he's going to do it. He's going to do it. But it says that when they were waiting there together, that when they were meeting, that they were there in one accord, that it took one car to get to this meeting place, a Honda Accord. Sorry, no, I know that's bad. I have to do it. It's like in the book when you become a pastor, you have to use that joke, and it's bad. But what are we meeting together for? What is the purpose of being here? Yeah, the banana bread's good. My wife's a good cook, and she's a better believer than I. But as believers... What are we meeting here together for? I hope it's all of us together to hear what God would say to us and that we would have fellowship with him and with each other and that we might see what God might want to do in this area, you know, through our lives, in our lives, and in other people's lives. And I think maybe in this setting it's a little more obvious that we're here for those reasons. You know, we don't have a gigantic church the size of a city block. You know, we don't have all these fun events and other things going on and, and things where we can come. You know, you, you guys brought your own chairs, thinking that you're going to have to have your own chairs today. And that's a reasonable expectation, seeing that we've had to do that in the past. So hopefully you're coming here to get something from God. But I think sometimes as in different church settings, we can kind of lose that. We come there with the more entertainment factor. I'm gonna, like you're going to a movie. But what are we meeting together for? Are we meeting and are we expecting to hear from God? Because... Whether the teaching is good or not, or whether the songs resonated with you or not, I know that God wants to meet with us, and I pray that the songs would resonate. I pray that the, the teaching would minister to all of us by his spirit. But God wants to speak to us today. God always wants to speak to us. There's never a day that God you know, goes, well, I don't want to speak to them today. I'll get to them <laughs> next week. I mean, maybe. I don't know what, you, what you've been doing all week. But <laughs> usually, the worse you are, the more he wants to speak to you. <laughs> um, I kid, but... It says that uh, it came in like a rushing, mighty wind. There was a rushing, mighty wind. You know, it reminds you of those verses about a whirlwind or a still small voice uh, in 1 Kings uh, with Elijah. You know, I won't uh, read there for time, but it's 1 Kings 19, 8 through 13, if you want to check it out later. It's when um, Elijah's on the run. Uh, God tells him to go into the, uh, into the cave, and he's going to meet him. And then this whirlwind comes, and this fire comes, and God's not in either, and an earthquake God's not in that, but what happens? It's God's still small voice. You know, God is very powerful, 
But God doesn't need to show up on the scene like the rest of us kind of need to show up with our entourage and our stretch limo and, you know, the paparazzi. God shows up, and I think sometimes we miss him because it's a still, small voice. He doesn't need to exude his power in our lives and knock us down. He's not arrogant in that way. He just says, hey, come spend time with me. Hey, remember this verse. You know, that verse. You know, he's very, he's very gentlemanly. But it says that this mighty wind filled the whole house. You know, nothing was left unturned. You know, the whole house. There wasn't some guy in the back in the restroom and the, he missed the wind because he was in there. There wasn't, you know, somebody uh, behind the couch and they didn't get a good seat so they didn't get the Holy Spirit that day. It filled the whole house. You know, and the Holy Spirit wants access to our entire temple. It says that our body is the temple of the living God. And God wants access to your entire body. And not in a creepy way, but I think in the way that, hey, if there's things in our lives that are messed up, God wants to be involved in that. You know, uh, we have some mess in the other room because we moved it out of this room to have to clean up. You know, God would want to be involved in that. You know, we don't need to have any closed doors in our lives with God. You know, the wind is going to get there. You know, it's going to get through the door. You're not going to have an airtight house. But God wants to be involved in all that, and we don't need to be ashamed of those things. I mean, yes, there's sin. We should have a certain level of shame that we bring to the Lord and say, God, forgive me of this. I repent of this. But when we have those things and they're a burden to us and we can't deal with them, God doesn't expect us to. He just says, open the door. Open the door. Let me in there. Let me in there. Let me penetrate that area of your life. It says in verse 3 that it appeared to them that then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. You know, it says that it appeared to them. That could mean to look at, to behold, but also could mean to allow oneself to be seen or to appear. And we see that as these uh, flames of fire come down and, and sit on each one of the disciples' heads, that it was God allowing himself to be seen. That God is invisible, you know, that uh, the Father, you know, dwells in unapproachable light, that man can approach him. But Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we've seen God through Jesus. We know what the Father, in a sense, looks like through the way Jesus was and is. But the same thing with the Holy Spirit, where we see that in the Old Testament, a few guys had a touch of the Holy Spirit. Here and there, prophets would get them, David, even King Saul had them for a while, Samson, the power of the Spirit in our lives. But it wasn't the same. It wasn't, in a sense, the guarantee that we have. But, but God revealed himself. You know, um, there's been times when I've been in worship, and I kind of like peek and see if touch. You know, is there a flame of fire on my head right now? Because I know God is here. Look around, like, is there a flame of fire on anyone else's head? And I think if I saw that, I'd probably need to be committed somewhere. <laughs> but I think that on this day, it was very important that God revealed to them that, hey, this isn't a feeling. This isn't just, you know, God is here in some theological way. It's, I'm going to reveal myself and show that I'm on each and every one of you. I'm not going to just put it on one guy and say, turn to this guy, Peter, and make him the head of your church. No, it's going to be on each one of you, each one of you. And God revealed himself in that way to show that, yes, I'm truly here. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, and you're not. But it says, divided, divided tongues as of fire. You know that maybe it was actual fire. Maybe you could have stuck a marshmallow over Peter's head and roasted it. I don't know. It's pretty sacrilegious. But it appeared to them as fire. You know, that it was a spiritual fire on their heads, you know. They obviously didn't burn. But I think of the burning bush. When Moses is in the, is in the backside of the wilderness, out there by himself, tending the flocks, and what does he see? How does God reveal himself to Moses? There's a bush on fire. That's pretty interesting. And he walks over there. It's not burning up. 
You know, imagine the TV's on fire right now and you're like, it's still there. Maybe it should be. I don't know what, <laughs> what cable's in there. But then God speaks to him out of the fire. He says, Moses, go get my people. But it was to each one, and verse 4 says they were all filled. All of them. All of them. Everyone. You know, do you think that some were struggling that day? Do you think that some came to this meeting, sitting around, were struggling with something? Do you think that some were guilty of something, even on the way? Maybe they, you know, their donkey tripped and they said a bad word on the way there. I don't know. Maybe some were unbelieving. Maybe some were doing better than others. Maybe some had total faith. They were there the whole time. They were looking for it. They were waiting. They didn't necessarily agree with the, the way that they chose the other apostle. Maybe some were afraid. Maybe some were sad. I don't know. But I'm sure if they're anything like us, they have stuff going on in their lives. If they're anything like us, which I know they are because they're people, there's stuff going on. But it says that they were all filled. They were all filled. There wasn't a form, a questionnaire, a test they had to take when the Holy Spirit showed up. He didn't come say, hey, well, let's get in line and let's see who's been good this week and who's been bad this week and who's going to get um, the Holy Spirit today. You know, I'm thankful God's not like that because I would be uh, hopeless. But all were in the right place at the right time. And all became vessels. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. If you're there and you're ready for God, he's ready for you. That's all he says is just show up. You want to meet with me? You want to meet with God? It's that simple. Show up. Meet with him. And I don't necessarily even mean here. I just mean open your Bible. Pray for a minute. Put on a worship song in the car on the way to work. Whatever it is. You want to meet with God? God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You know, it's not about works. It's not about works. We don't have to do anything. That's what the cross was for. That's what the cross is for. You know, the guys in the Old Testament had to, you know, David cried, you know, don't take your spirit from me, God. Don't take it from me because I know that I'm sinful. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I can't hold on to it. But we don't have that fear anymore. God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We can sin and we can quench the Holy Spirit as maybe we'll look at it in another area of scripture one day. But God's not going to leave you and I. God's going to be with us. When we were with God, we're with him. And even when we didn't know him, it says that the Holy Spirit is alongside us, convicting us of sin, pointing us to Jesus and to righteousness and to forgiveness. That he doesn't even leave us when we're in complete sin. So he's definitely not going to leave us when he lives inside of us. You know, he's, he's God. You know, he could find a better house, but he wants to live in, in us. But it says that they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. That they began to speak in other languages, as we'll see here. Maybe they were heavenly languages, but a lot of what we see here is that there were earthly languages, we'll see in a minute, that were these people began to hear in their own tongues, and I'm really getting ahead because it's awesome. But it says that as the Spirit gave utterance, as the Holy Spirit spoke through them, this wasn't something that they worked up. This wasn't something that they went to a class and practiced how to speak in tongues. They, oh, here's a language, here's Rosetta, you know, Rosetta Stone. <laughs> You know, it say uh, whatever, blah, 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 and eventually it'll come out of you. No, that's working it up. God spoke through them. They were just open. They were there. All of a sudden, flames of fire touched on their head, and they began to speak as God gave them utterance. And that's the way God works. You know, God is very simple. God is very simple. If we had to take a class on how to do Christianity, well, we kind of do have to do it every week. <laughs> but if we had to take a class on how to have a relationship with God, I think it would be missing the point. You know, you can't work up the Holy Spirit. He's not a skill. He's not a skill. 
he's not a force like in Star Wars. You know, I used to watch those movies all the time, and I, I maybe I'll watch the new ones just to see what they're about. But it, I just can't get into them anymore. But he's not a force. He's not a superpower. You know, Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you and you conjure it up. It's God living inside you, being who he is. And we're just, okay, let me just be open and let you work through the doors in my life. You know, he's a person. He's a person. You know, and if we have any confusion on on the things of the Spirit, like I think the church does these days, I kind of go, why? You know, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is very clear on, on how the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit work and how these things come through our lives and how they should work in different settings. And I think things like that are very obvious and, and you know, they've been uh, abused in the church. But, um, you know, again, God's, God's a person. He just wants to, uh, us to know him. But let's go on. We're going to pick it up in verse 5 through 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? We'll stop there for now. Uh, Verse 5 seems pretty obvious that there were Jews living in Jerusalem. (laughs) That's kind of obvious, right? Yeah. There's people from Washington, D.C. living in Washington, D.C. It just kind of makes sense. But it says that they were from every nation under heaven. Every tribe, every people group, every nation was represented there. Was represented. We'll get to that a little bit later in the specifics. But we see that there were Jews from every nation there. That there were people who heard about the, the Jewish people, who heard about the God of Israel, and came to faith in them, and they were probably there for this Feast of Pentecost, that this was held yearly. Uh, But they also lived there. They also lived there. The whole world was represented there. The whole world was represented there. It says that, uh, you know, we think of in the past, there was uh, Ruth, Rahab, Nebuchadnezzar, and other people who heard about the God of Israel, and at least said with their mouth, I believe in the God of Israel. Some, like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, one way or the other, we don't know how that kind of ended up. But Ruth and Rahab, they both came to God. Rahab was the prostitute living on the wall of Jericho, and she came and came to faith in God. And she actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was involved in the the lineage of Jesus, which is amazing. She's not Jewish, and she's out living a life of sin and making money off of the sin. But it says that these people were devout. They were devout. But, you know, they weren't complete. They weren't complete. You know, there's a lot of people who are devoutly religious in our day and age who are very um, authentic in their faith, I guess you could say. I was reading a magazine article. I was waiting for my uh, car to be inspected the other day, and it was talking about this musician. I won't give his name. And at the end of the article, it says, you and your wife are both Scientologists. How does blah, 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 these things are coming out. Does it shake your faith at all? And he shared his thing. I'm like, wow, he really believes that? I know this guy is very smart. But he's devout. You know, people are devout in a lot of things, right or wrong. Um, But these people were devout, but I don't think that they were complete yet, as we'll see. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Uh, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne 
of God, that Jesus is the finisher of our faith. The Jews who had the sacrificial system, had, you know, quote unquote, the Old Testament, looked forward to the Messiah coming. But when Jesus came, he finished the faith. He fulfilled the law, and he was the end of their faith. No longer do we have to, like we talked about, look at the sacrifices. No longer do we have to follow these feasts and these regulations. We just look to Jesus. He finished your faith. But he's also going to be the one who's going to finish our faith in life. When we come to God and we say, God, I need you, he's the one who takes it from there. In fact, he kind of brought us there in the first place. But it's really not on us to finish our faith. We just need to keep giving our faith to God. And it says that the sound, and the word was actually phone in Greek, but it was noise abroad. It could even mean music or voices. And I think that's great that when this sound came out, it began to be heard, and it was voices. But that the word also has this musical connotation, that there was a beauty to what these people were saying and the way it sounded. It wasn't angry. It, Holy Spirit came down, flames of fire, yeah, fire, and we're going to bring brimstone on, these pe- brimstone on these people. You're all going to hell, et cetera, et cetera. You're in sin, blah, repent now. That's not what happened, as we'll see. It says that they all heard it in their own language in which they were born. And uh, I think that that's great, that God is going to reach them where they're at. You know, have you guys heard of the Hawaii Pigeon Bible? Uh, some of my friends found this last year, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, I guess it's written in the indigenous language of the people of Hawaii, but this is John 3.16 in the Hawaii Pigeon Bible. It says, God when gets so plenty love and aloha foda pipo inside the world, that he wouldn't send me his one and only boy so that everybody that trusts me no get cut off from God but get the real kind life that stay to the max forever. That's the way it is. That's their language. They didn't need to come and learn high English but somebody translated it into their native tongue and I read that and I love it because that's the heart of God. It doesn't have to be, I like reading King James but it doesn't have to be King James. It doesn't have to be Greek and Hebrew for you to really hear from God. God wants you to hear it in the language you hear it. When I first got saved, I started reading the, the New Living Translation, which is a good translation in a sense. It's not word for word. They kind of take a sentence and then translate the sentence to get the idea, and it's very modern English. And it was very, very helpful when I first got saved because it's even helpful now to an extent. But my brain was even more messed up then than it is now. And so for me to try and read something, it was kind of interesting. But this, I understood, and I can hear it. But as I grew in the Lord and as God began to wash my brain and began to put things back together where they should be, it started to be hard for me to distinguish what was my words and what was scripture and remember what this translation said. And I kind of wanted one that was a little more accurate, um, that was word for word, where I could say, well, it says this word, let me look it up and what this word means. And I began to read uh, uh, New King James and then King James. Um, But that doesn't matter. That's for me. That's because now my, my brain is able to read these other things and able to separate it from my own thoughts. I prefer the, the, the King James. I just prefer it as a personal thing and not to get into where the actual scripture comes from and that argument. But when I remember a scripture, it's in words that don't sound like my thoughts. But that's not God's point. God's point is that we would hear it and we would understand it and we would know what God would say to each one of us. That we do, He doesn't want any barriers between us and his word. You know, God wants to reach everyone, not conform everyone to a culture. And I was listening to the audio book by K.P. Yohannan, uh, Revolution and World Missions, and he said that that's one of the, been the biggest failings of Western missionaries going to the other world. He, it, you know, it was great that we went there. there was, uh, it's great to do missions. But he says that a lot of it became, let's conform these cultures into a Western culture 
that they might understand the gospel. But the gospel is not a Western culture. The gospel is from the Middle East. The gospel is from Israel. The gospel was written and happened 2,000 years ago. And that's the thing, is that when we go out and we share the gospel, we don't need to go and, and make people dress like us or act like us or conform to us. We need to go to them, reach them where they're at, and bring them the gospel in words that they can understand. And that doesn't mean we're going to change the gospel. That doesn't mean we're going to change the message or compromise and sin to try and reach people, where a lot of people in the West are doing that today. We say, oh, well, I can curse, and I can write an album with this. You know, I met this guy. Um, who was in a very big band, who was a believer, who left the band for a while to uh, kind of really seek God. And I believe he got saved and he's been doing this ministry. And I met him when they were uh, coming up to our area. It was very good. And uh, I wasn't really into his music, but I wanted to buy his album a couple years ago when he came out with a new album with the band. And it was about Jesus. It was about the Bible, but I just didn't have a piece about buying it. So I went and I looked and looked up the lyrics and there's this one song about Jesus on the cross, and there's like F-bombs throughout the whole thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I tweeted the guy. I said, hey, I don't remember when we met, blah, blah, And just kind of talked to him about it. He's like, these kids are out there dying and killing themselves, and you're worried about the language I'm using? And I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm in youth ministry. I care about the kids. I was one of those kids. I'm so glad you guys are out there reaching these kids that would not come to church any other way. But really, you know, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You know, if you want to reach them, reach them with the gospel. You don't need to sin. And, and he got mad and wouldn't talk to me. And I was like, okay, but, you know, I'm glad he's out there. But really, if we're compromising on purity, th there's not going to be any difference. There's no difference. And there's nothing, you know, there's no hope, really. Because if we're not free from the things that the world is enslaved to, we're not free. But really, KPU and Hannah is saying, hey, let's go to these other cultures and bring them the gospel with people from their culture. If you want to be a Western missionary, give money to the people who are in those cultures to go to that culture. And not that there's anything wrong or that God's not going to call you or I to go to a foreign mission field. That's Jesus went to a foreign mission field. <laughs> he came to earth, right? But I think that it's important that um, when, we, when we do those things that we're not trying to make people American but we're trying to make people Christian. You know, it's, they say, are they not Galileans? Aren't they all from here? They're not really maybe highly educated in world cultures and language. And they were confused. How am I hearing this? How am I hearing this in my own language, in my own tongue? You know, it's great that, that God set the stage to reach the whole world in the first century, that all these people were there hearing it in their own tongue, in their own language, but they were representing the entire world. People from every people, tribe, and tongue were in Jerusalem. Maybe they lived there. Maybe they had relatives who were still somewhere else where when they begin to hear this gospel message and their life, as we'll see, will be affected by this message, that maybe they'd go back to their people. Maybe they'd write a letter home to mom and share the gospel, and the whole world would be reached. Every people group. You know, I'm going to read a couple verses. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. In Matthew twenty-four fourteen, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And in Revelation 14, 6-11, uh, John writes, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, 
having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. And another angel, angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, and another angel comes, and they, and they share these messages of judgment after a message of repentance and salvation is given. But it wasn't just once that God preached to the whole world. There's this idea that that's gone around Christianity for a while, that we have to go to the whole world and teach everyone about the gospel, and then Jesus will come. And Jesus can't come back until we do that. That Jesus is in heaven going, oh, come on, I want to go, hurry up. <laughs> it's not like that. God did it right then on the day of Pentecost. God has been doing it for 2,000 years. God is doing it today. And God is going to do it in the future, in the tribulation, when he sends his own angels, when the church isn't on earth anymore. When he sends his angels to bring the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not responsible to do that. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to go out and do that, and that's not part of the Great Commission. But God is able to do it without us. And God has already done it, in a sense. You know, when we were at the pastor's conference, um, this guy who uh, does missions work with uh, a lot of Muslims and uh, in the Middle East, he was sharing how Muslims all over the world who are locked in, separated from the gospel, Jesus is showing up to them in dreams, by droves. By droves, saying, I'm Jesus. I love you. Come to me. Even to the fact that he, he shared the story about going to a gas station. Uh, and it was just a, a whole long story. He didn't want to go. And the lady was Muslim, and they got to talking. And she shared with him that, you know, Jesus came to me in a dream. And he's been coming to me for 40 years. And finally, he shared with her, and she came to know the Lord. And she had been going to his church. You know, that God loves all these people. And yes, we're responsible. But God loves people so much, he's <laughs> going to work whether we do it or not. You know, but who do we know? Who do we know? Do we know people that need the gospel? I'm sure. I know I do. Are there people around us that need the gospel? Absolutely. But if we look at America today, we can even narrow it down and just say, let's look in the 20-minute radius that we all come from here. I bet you can find many people from every place on earth. Every place on earth. And they're all living right here. You know, the Statue of Liberty um, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. That America is unlike any other nation that's existed. We're similar to, to some here and there. But really, everyone from around the world has come here as sort of a safe haven for a new life. You know, and I'd venture to say that, you know, God has given us this land, Baltimore to Bethesda. I feel that God has definitely called us to be in a church in this area. But I think that it's larger than that, that he wants us to reach the area. And I'm not saying... You know, maybe it's only just us in this room and he uses us just to reach. Maybe there's more people. But the point is that he's got us here to come to know him and from there to reach people in our area and in our backyards. You know, I think the natural inclination would want to go, let's go to D.C. But I think that even now with everything that's going on in Baltimore, I think that, um, you know, that's the heart of God for people that are hurt, people that are broken, people that, that need his love. Let's go on. Let's finish out the chapter here, nine through thirteen. Oh, not the chapter. Sorry, the uh, the section. Let's go on, verse nine. Uh, so they begin saying where they're from. They say Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. I'm probably butchering these, but Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. 
So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. <laughs> but we see that the Parthians, you know, it's the Middle East to India, sort of Iraq and Afghanistan and, the, and Pakistan and those areas. Uh, the Medes, northwest Iran and southwest Turkey in modern day. The Elamites, the rest of modern Iran. Mesopotamia dwelling, Iraq. So this area that's very Muslim today was reached back then. You have to wonder what, what happened. Uh, Judea, west of the Dead Sea, Cappadocia, eastern Turkey, uh, Pontus, the Black Sea, northeast Turkey, Asia, Turkey, Phrygia, west central Turkey, all these areas in Turkey, uh, Pamphylia in Turkey, Egypt, which is Egypt, uh, Libya and Cyrene, that's the northeast part of Libya. There were even Roman visitors, Jews and converts. It says that there are people from the capital, from Rome, from this culture, which was really the world culture at the time. The Cretans, the island south off of Greece, and Arabia and Saudi Arabia. So we see that there's people from all this known world at the time. That these people could go as far as India. You know, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, they say that Thomas went to India. You know, that just because Paul didn't go east doesn't mean that other people didn't go east. And even then, the, 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 the Magi who came to worship Jesus at his birth came from the east. You know, some people believe they may have been Chinese or Indian or Arabian, but these guys who are very smart came seeking the Lord. So the gospel's gone out. The gospel's gone out. There's not one people group that Jesus hasn't reached. And you think of, there's this island, I think it's off of Africa or India, uh, and I apologize for not knowing it, but it just came to me. Uh, I read an article about it last week, where every time someone tries to get on the island, <laughs> they get killed. You know, they've sent, like, uh, I don't want to say a drone, but they have aero photographs of these guys coming out to the beach with their spears, and apparently you get, can't get on the island. Um, so, but I guarantee that God has revealed himself to those people in one way or another. There's uh, a book that I read years ago about missionary work and things like that, where these missionaries would go into these other cultures in South America and Asia, and there would be this disconnect in trying to share the gospel with them until they looked at the people's religions. And then they began to, to dig in and see that, yeah, the religion is false, but there's some premise here that I can use to build on and show the gospel. Um, from and then people would get saved by the droves because again they would see on their cultural level something that was more uh, familiar to them and not saying anyone other than Jesus but that God would plant seeds in people or that he would show up like we talked about in dreams um, you know God's a personal God you know uh, you and I we could go the rest of our lives without meeting anyone else and, and God would show up and, and uh, make sure we had an opportunity to choose him but verse 11 says, we hear them speaking the wonderful works of God. And again, when the Holy Spirit showed up, it wasn't this fire and brimstone message. It was saying the wonderful works of God, sharing things that God had done in the Old Testament, sharing things that Jesus had done. It uh, doesn't give specifics, but I think everything God does is a wonderful work. I think even when he has to bring judgment, it's wonderful because it speaks of his righteousness and is unwilling to deal with sin, you know, and to put up with it. But that's the message of the Holy Spirit. That's the wonderful works of God. When the Holy Spirit ministers to us, it's always the wonderful works of God. The law condemns us, but God brings life. That Yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to convict us. He's going to show us that there's sin in our lives. He's going to say, this is wrong, this is right. But there's always an end to that. It's always Jesus. It's always, yeah, you messed up big, but there's Jesus. Come to Jesus. Repent, turn from that sin, and turn to Jesus. It's never, you're a sinner, deal with it on your own. It's bro, you're sinning, you need to get saved. Because God loves us. He doesn't want to leave us um, condemned. You know, and what's the most wondrous work 
of God? Jesus Christ on the cross, coming as a man dying for us, that he died and he rose again, and that better than that, he's, he's coming back for us, that, that we have eternal hope. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants us to know at all times. When we read the scripture, it's good to get into the, the theological arguments and what the words mean and all these other things, but at the end of it, God wants us to see Jesus out of all of it. God wants it, us to see that, even if we never say Jesus' name in the whole message, which, or your whole study, but you begin to see the attributes of God. You begin to see how much he loves us. It's interesting, though, that at this time, there were all these languages together in one spot, and God began to speak to all of them that they might understand again. Now, if we read Genesis, you know about the Tower of Babel. You know, in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, um, I'm just going to read a couple of verses of it for time, but check it out later if you want. Uh, now, the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain, and, you know, they build this, they come together and they build this city, this temple, this tower up to God that they might proclaim themselves to be God and worship uh, the heavens and all that. And God says, come, let us go down. And there confused their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. That these people were in direct defiance to what God had said. It's a really good study when you get into it. But he came down and he said, this is not what I want you to do. I'm going to have you guys spread out that you may know me. But they couldn't communicate anymore. And for all of history, except, you know, when empires sprung up or Rome had Greek and Latin as this language that was spread around that all nations would come together and be able to speak it and do business. The same thing today with English. You find an airplane, doesn't matter what country the airplane's coming from, they speak English over the radio to each other. And I'm sure it's that way with shipping lanes and other things as well. Um, but English, it's funny, you know, out of all the population, how many people are native English speakers? You know, a couple hundred million. But in China, they have 1.1 billion people. You know, so again, it's this weird economic thing that's going on. But we have this desire for one language. If you've seen lately in the news with uh, Skype or uh, Google Translate or other things like that, where you can now go on Skype, speak in one language, it translates it into Spanish, and then the person in the other end, well, it translates it back into audible language. So the idea is for schools and things where a school in America could call a school in Mexico over Skype, speak, it does the translating, and then they hear Spanish on the other end, and you hear English on this end. It's, we're trying to get rid of this language barrier. And I wonder, you know, if the Lord tarries in 100 years from now, we're all going to be so dependent on machines translating for us, you know, what, what that's going to be like. But, <laughs> you know, I barely speak English, as you can tell. But, you know, it's amazing. You know, God's bringing it all back. God wants to release and wanted to release the world from the barriers of language that the gospel might go out. He split it up. He spread it out and created new languages that people might spread out again and not be involved in one place. But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? He says, I want you guys all back together. I want you guys all to understand the gospel. I want everybody to understand the gospel. It's not just for the Jews. It's just for the Romans. It's not just for the Americans. It's for everybody. But it says, verse 12, that they were confused. What could this mean? I don't get it. How come we're all hearing the wonderful works of God in our own language? You know, they were unable to put the message into action. They had their spiritual wheels spinning. And again, these people were devout religious people. They were there in Jerusalem. They had probably converted to Judaism, a lot of them. But they didn't understand what 
the application of this was for them. They didn't understand the works of God. Like the Bible says that the, the carnal man can't understand the things of the spirit, that when God begins to move, we need him to give us understanding of it. You know, before I got saved, I'd be reading the Bible and trying to make heads or tails of it while still doing my own thing and not being submitted to God in repentance. And it didn't make any sense. It made some sense, and I tried to draw charts and all these crazy things. Um, and God was gracious and saved me through all of it. But, but really, that's what it's there for, that uh, these tongues and these explanations of the works of God were great, but they still needed to be taught. They still needed to be discipled. They still needed to receive God, first and foremost, into their lives. You know, tongues are great. Evangelism is great. Um, you know, teaching in some sense is great, but discipleship is where we put it into action. That as we hear from God and we've received God and we learn what the scripture says, that we begin to help each other and teach each other what the scriptures say. That we may properly walk it out and not walk around and go, I have no idea what this scripture means. Or I have no idea what this means for my life. And I don't know what the Bible says. You know, just that we might know these things. And we're going to see what Peter's sermon is next week. We're going to see what he begins to share and expound on now that they've all been kind of wondered by this, this miracle that's gone on. But there's two groups here that we're going to look as we close. There's those who hear and want to hear more to understand it, and those who don't understand it and don't want to understand it and mock it. You think of the thieves on the cross. There's Jesus in the middle. They were both mocking, but at one point the one guy turns and says, do you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And the other guy was probably still mocking. But I love that, you know, God really can't be mocked. You know, we can try and mock God all we want. I was coming home last night late from bringing in groceries, and I think there were some people at the pool or having a party somewhere on their deck, and I could hear them. And it was kind of muffled because it was a little bit far away. But I think that they were mocking the Bible. They were high or drunk or just being rowdy. And I, if I was hearing right, it sounded like he was talking about he read the whole Bible, and I just caught bits and pieces of it, and they were laughing about it and all these other things. But even this mocking is truth here, that they were, these guys must be full of new wine. You know, Peter says it's not even like the third hour. It's not even, you know, 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, so we, we're not drunk, trust me. But it says that they're full of new wine, that these guys must be drunk. But what did Jesus say in Matthew 9, 16 through 17? No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. But God's doing a new work. And God said, yes, they are full of new wine. They have a new work of God by his spirit upon them, and their lives are so different. They're so empowered from above that people think it's absolutely crazy. That when people see their lives and hear what's coming out of their mouth, they go, you're crazy. I can't believe it. You're drunk. <laughs> it's this early in the morning. What are you doing? Come on. I know we're just having a feast here. Maybe you drank a little bit too much last night. I don't know. And that's what people are going to think when they see our lives led by the Spirit. You know, the Bible says that you don't know where they're coming from and where they're going, just like the wind, when God's Spirit is in control of their lives. And when people look on at us and hear the things that come out of our mouths, even in, these, in this day and age, they're going to go, you're drunk. <laughs> you're a bigot. <laughs> you're an idiot. You're, it's not true. God's not, God doesn't work that way. But he does. And the thing is, with this new work of God, old, crusty religion can't hold it. The works of the law couldn't hold the works of the Spirit. You know, the, the things that God wanted to do couldn't be contained. He couldn't be kept in a box. 
in our lives, schedules, routines, crusty habits, closed doors, hidden secrets, undealt with sin, it all must be opened up to the Lord for him to do a complete work, for the day of God to be complete, for the day of Pentecost to be full in our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that, again, he's not going to fill each one of us and use each one of us in great ways, but if we want more of God, we have to give over more of ourselves to him and let him deal with it. Because if there's some sin in our life that's overwhelming, that's marked on our life, it's going to keep us from receiving everything God has for us. Not that God necessarily wants to condemn us for it. Our own sin condemns us. But he wants to give us more. And in order to get that, we need to be willing to let go of things. But the beauty of it here, as we close, is that God undoes the past to put together our future. God completed the law. God undid all the other stuff that the disciples were worried about. And he gave them a future by giving them the Holy Spirit. And he put it together. He had a better plan than the disciples had. The disciples had a decent plan. They prayed about it. They chose a few people. I'm sure they were figuring out, we can go here, here, and here once we're done waiting. But God had a better plan. You know, and I know God has a better plan for each one of our lives. You know, he always does. No matter where we are, God says, I've got something greater. I've got something better for you. I've got something more full and more complete. You know, and I know that he, he has that down here as well that there is stuff that the Lord wants to do in our community that's even greater than this living room. And I'm blown away. I still don't understand what God is doing. But I'm blown away that, you know, that we would get together and that this is God working. Like I said last week, you know, and I've told many people, I haven't had to do anything. I just had to come down here, and God was already working in each one of you and moving in each one of you um, to birth something that we're going to see what he wants to do. And it's bigger than just, you know, a Sunday or Wednesday study or anything like that. It's God wants to see people's lives changed. And it's going to start with, um, with our lives. So are we ready for that? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. But I think that the only qualification for being ready for what God wants to do in our lives is, are we sitting down and are we ready to receive from him? Amen? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and its truth. And that God, uh, we ask for your spirit that, Lord, you'd fill us even afresh today, that, God, the, the holes in our lives you'd plug up and, the doors and the things, God, you want to remove from us, God, that you would take out. Not that you're trying to take our fun away, but God, that you would give us a complete life instead of maybe just a, a hobby that has no fruit or a pastime that's just dull. God, would you give us a better life and a new life? And God, we need you to do that. But Lord, even more than that, that you would be glorified. That God, people would come to know you. That those people, even in this neighborhood who mock you, would but see that, God, you can't be mocked, and that, God, you want them just to rejoice in you instead of uh, being foolish. So, God, bless the rest of our day, and I thank you for everyone here. And, uh, God, would you just continue to work by your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.